Hello and welcome back to Dirty Talk. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about reproductive justice, abortion, and just like reproductive rights.、Um, and we have two very special guests here with us today from the Planned Parenthood Advocates of Oregon,、um, and I'm just going to let them introduce their, themselves. Hey, I'll get started.、Um, my name is Lindsay Saglu. I use she and they pronouns, and I work as the field director for Planned Parenthood Advocates of Oregon.、Um, and real talk, I like binged a bunch of your episodes of Dirty Talk last night to get in the mood and get excited. So I'm very excited to talk to you today,、um, and it's great to see you again. And shout out to Viv and Sophia. <laughs>、um, yeah. Wait, is there anything else I'm supposed to share? No.、Um, did you share your pronouns? Yes, she and they. Okay, great. Yeah, it's so great that you binge our episodes.、Um, and just for con, <laughs> thank you so much. And just for context,、um, I know、um, Becca and Lindsay because I used to be a fellow with Planned Parenthood Advocates of Oregon.、Um, and so yeah, it's really nice to be talking to them again. Becca, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, thank you. My name is Becca. My pronouns are they and them. And、um, I'm a field organizer with Planned Parenthood Advocates of Oregon. I've been in this position since like March of 2019. But yeah, I'm also super stoked to be here. Full disclosure: I've never been on a podcast before. That seems like way too cool for me, actually. So、um, shocked to be here today. Honored to be here today. Really pleased to be talking to you. Yeah, we're, I'm so happy to have you two with me. So again, like I said, today we're going to be talking about like reproductive justice, reproductive rights,、um, and we'll just start off with like a quick, I guess, definition and some like、uh, definition setting.、Um, I'll start off with something, and then Becca and Lindsay can just kind of give a definition if they have something, or if Planned Parenthood has something they go with.、Um, for reference, I wrote an article on what reproductive justice is, and it's on Parachute Media's website. So if any of our listeners Want to go read it, or want to like all of the all a lot of the、um, references and like definitions are from on there. And so something I just wanted to highlight is that when I was like writing this article and doing some research, something really cool that I saw was kind of like this difference between reproductive rights and reproductive justice, and how their framework isn't exactly the same. So the reproductive rights framework is centered on achieving women's individualistic reproductive freedom through the legal system, and has historically focused on the pro-choice and like pro-life debate, sex education, and family planning. Whereas like the reproductive justice framework acknowledges the ways that socioeconomic status, gender, and race shape reproductive health care experiences and health policy, and kind of has a more intersectional view and kind of.、Um, The important thing to remember with this is that choice is important, but so is access. Like you may have the choice, you know, to like do this or like have,、um, you know, a pregnancy or not have a pregnancy. But do you have the access to the healthcare options that you really need to be able to make that choice? Is also super important, and I feel like that's where a lot of the nuances come in.、Um, so yeah, Becca, what are your thoughts on just like kind of like starting off with reproductive justice? Any definitions or starters? Yeah, I think first and foremost, what you're saying about like the difference between these two movements historically is dead on accurate,、um, and it really like talking about access really does come down to the heart of it. Like there is no choice where there is no access, and that is what、um, reproductive justice like aims to get at.、Um, Whereas, yes, like the rights movement has historically been about like legally, do you have the choice to do that?、Um, but so much comes into play. Like we live in a deeply racist country with like deeply racist structures at every level, and like that impacts what access people have to everything. Like, do you have transportation to go get your healthcare? Do you have coverage? Do you have money to pay a copay? Do you have childcare?、Um, And when you get there, do your doctors believe what you're saying to them?、Um, so I think that like that distinction is so important, and I'm glad that you、um, called it nuanced because like it is nuanced and it is complex. And I think that like human life exists in that complexity and in that nuance.、Um, and I think that like that's where we have to be putting our focus,、um, like as a movement. So, <laughs> all that is to say,、um, 
yeah, I think that that's like that perfectly encapsulates what we're looking at. Yeah, Lindsay, what are your thoughts? So many. <laughs> um, yeah, agreed. Um, snapping along to everything that Becca is saying and everything that you're saying, Arda. Um, as far as definitions, I think um, Sister Song, the organization, has been the leader of the reproductive justice movement since the very beginning. Um, and they define reproductive justice as the human right to bodily autonomy, to have children, not have children, and parent the children you have in safe and sustainable communities. Um, and so I think that's a really powerful working definition of reproductive justice. Um, and, you know, I think of, you know, what are the overlaps? So quick history lesson. Um, at a point in the late 80s, the legal scholar Kimberly Crenshaw um, coins the term intersectionality, right? That we can't just check one box on our forum, that we don't live single issue lives, that all of the um, complexities of our identity impact our experience um, moving through the world. Um, and then in the 90s, I think it was in 1994, there's this international um, development and family planning conference um, and coming out of that conference, um, there's a group that was led by black women and women of color that were like, wait, 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 wait. They're saying that reproductive justice is this global cause, um, but we're not seeing ourselves um, being represented as the center and the focus of um, the movement. So um, Sister Song is one of those founding organizations that defined um, and has been carrying uh, the reproductive justice movement since its founding. Yeah, I think it's, oh, sorry, were you going to say something? Well, I was just going to say, I think it's really important to distinguish that Planned Parenthood is a reproductive, is categorically a reproductive rights organization. We're an organization with a hundred plus year history. And with a hundred plus year old history, we have hella baggage. Um, <laughs> just to be frank, um, there's a really good, uh, I think it's an op-ed that our national leader, Alexis McGill Johnson, published in the New York Times that is finally framing um, Margaret Sanger as, you know, a um, complicated figure who is who participated in the, in the history of eugenics and just being really upfront and honest about that. Um, and so, yeah, just moving forward, it's important to distinguish. Um, we are a reproductive rights organization, but we work um, in ally and accomplishment with the reproductive justice movement. Reproductive justice is the center of our values um, that have to own our history as an organization. Yeah, definitely. Back that. I'm sorry. No, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, and part of, part of like managing that baggage, like unpacking that and like living with the truth of it is also like, what does it mean to be this organization in relationship to other organizations, like continuing to carry all that baggage? Like, obviously that history is still going to affect like how, like what our structure is and like how we make decisions and like what we're prioritizing. But it's also like some of that baggage is like, is relational. And so when we show up in coalition spaces, like what does it mean for Planned Parenthood to be in a space? Um, and we have to be like really cognizant of um, the space that we're taking up. Like, are we the big pink elephant in the room? Um, are we taking up the oxygen? Are we taking up the resources? And like, how do we leverage our position as the organization that we are um, to be like distributing resources and sharing power and sharing platform? Yeah, definitely. I wanted to kind of uh, bounce off something that Lindsay said about like black women leading this movement since the beginning, like even before the 1994 conference, like in September of 1989, it was like 16 black women who published the first like collective statement advocating for equal access to reproductive health care and like urging advocates of re reproductive freedom to consider the differences and barriers in reproductive access for women of color. So it's like really important to like remember that history of this movement and remember the effort that BIPOC women have put into this. Um, and I also wanted to just, before we kind of move forward in this conversation, kind of talk about how significant it is to be talking about it right now, especially with the stuff going on in Mississippi and Texas. Um, you know, um, if our listeners don't know, Mississippi just passed like a 15-week abortion ban where like after 15 weeks of pregnancy, you can't get an abortion. Um, and then they're like, 
uh, kind of challenging it in the court. And then it's I think it's going to be like kind of considered by the Supreme Court in June of like 2022. And there's like a good chance it might result in like the overturning or like it's like risking Roe v. Wade, which is like a huge deal. And it's like really scary for so many people. And then on the other hand, we have Texas that recently passed a law that says that you can sue people for aiding and abetting like abortions, which is like a whole different thing. Because now if you like drive someone to an abortion or you like help someone out, there is like a risk for you, which I feel like is so scary, too. Um, I kind of wanted to ask you, too, because I was thinking about this yesterday. What does this mean for Planned Parenthood workers in Texas with the whole aiding and abetting law? Would you happen to know? Um, something that is really frightening about SB8, the bill um, that Texas passed um, that frames uh, the concept of aiding and abetting abortion, um, is that it places a bounty of $10,000 over people's heads um, for, like you said, if you're helping someone get to their appointment, if you're someone who schedules an abortion appointment. Um, but most importantly, if you're a provider or a nurse, um, that's helping someone have an abortion, um, that puts you in harm's way. Um, and so I think that the target of this bill is really providers, um, instilling fear, um, and policing, um, of providers to be too afraid to continue the practice of providing abortion. Yeah, I was, I, I learned, I was like, I actually learned about this yesterday, um, because I I were I interned with a, re- a representative Maxine Dexter right now, and I was answering some constituent emails, and the constituent email was about that, and I was like, well, I actually didn't know about the Texas law until yesterday, and I was like, that is like horrific that um, they passed something like that, and it was like really angering, like especially with the Mississippi stuff too, and it's like, it's like so like, sad to see that we've like come so far and now there's like everything is like being put on the line especially like come next summer in June and so I think it's just like really important to be having this conversation right now because it's a it's a really scary time for like everyone with uteruses and just like everyone in general and so I think it's like yeah, it's definitely important to be having those conversations and talking about like the resources that people do have in these conditions um so yeah Oh, go for it, Becca. (laughs) Sorry, I was just going to say, yeah, it's absolutely like, like, I am, I am shaken by this, by this moment. This is a particularly difficult moment. Um, SBA went into effect in Texas on September 1st. And I am from Texas, actually. I was born there and I moved to Oregon when I was 21. But like all my family is still there. I have friends that still live in Texas. Um, And it's just like an awful feeling to know how many people are just like stuck there without access to care. Um, And so just like in thinking about this moment with this, with the Supreme court sort of overlapping and hearing about SB8 and um, the Mississippi 15 week ban, which they started hearing oral arguments on 10-1. Is that right? Lindsay? December 1st. 12-1. Gosh. Yeah. Um, it feels like it's been months. Um, like, I also wanted to talk about the timing of this, that it is like not accidental. Um, we're in this moment because of actual decades of conservative organizing to get us to this moment. Um, like, honestly, it goes back to, well, it goes back to forever, but I'll start in 2010. Um, after that census, like state legislatures changed a lot. And, um, a lot of abortion fights started ramping up in state legislatures. Um, and, and the goal of those like abortion restrictions that they started passing at that time, the goal was to get them to the Supreme Court to overturn Roe v. Wade. So like since that time, um, federal uh, courts have been packed with anti-abortion judges like so that those bills can be passed in state legislatures. And judges can say, yeah, that's fine. And now there are enough anti-abortion um, justices on the Supreme Court that, that those cases can get kicked all the way up there. And now it's like a serious danger that Roe v. Wade will get gutted or overturned outright. Um, so, like, this is a, a critical, p- pivotal moment 
in terms of abortion access and also just like bodily autonomy and like things have been steadily building to this with intention for a really long time yeah definitely and i think that just talking about like what would happen if you know got like i don't even want to think about it but like what what would happen if you know the supreme court started moving towards overturning roe v v. wade or like taking away our reproductive justice you know it's like a lot of states have these like trigger laws that like as soon as if like roe v wade is like i don't i hate talking about this because i don't want to like make it seem like it's even a possibility but if it's overturned a lot of states like texas um and mississippi and stuff will have these trigger laws that will just like go into place as soon as it's like overturned and then kind of just like ban abortions and like put in all these laws in place and then a lot of other states also have like plans for laws right like post row and other states just have like unenforced laws and like I was just looking at a map the other day and there's only really like a very few states that like have laws that explicitly protect abortion. Oregon is one of them, thankfully, as is like Washington, California, Nevada, and then like New York, Vermont, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Maine, and and, like a couple others. But like a lot of states are not that way. And so it's like really scary for everyone like living in those states and what it means for them and their healthcare. Um, and so, yeah, and I was just wondering, just for our listeners, as we're talking about this, if we could talk about, like, what Roe v. Wade is, really, you know, and, like, how it kind of works and what it really does for us. So, yeah, if any two of you who wants to begin. I will own that uh, legal stuff is not my forte. <laughs> Becca, you got this one right. <laughs> Just Volen telling me to do that. Lindsay is my supervisor. So can Volen tell me to do things on podcast? I think that's part of my oh, contract. I can, I can try and then you Oh, can. yes. Oh, please do try. Yeah. Okay. Back in 1974? Was it 1974? <laughs> Three. Okay. Oh my gosh. I need to be reevaluated for being in a position of authority here. Um, back in 1973, the Supreme Court heard this case, Roe v. Wade, um, that challenged access to abortion, um, excuse me, or as challenged le- the legal right to abortion care. Um, and my understanding is that Roe v. Wade codified um, the legal right to abortion, hinged on this idea of uh, the right to privacy. So that is how it is. It's not in any way couched in like body autonomy. Um, It's couched in the idea of uh, a person's right to privacy. Okay. Okay. That's that. Becca, do you have anything to add to that at all? I was just, no, that's all that's all perfect. I was just going to say, which is like this right hinging on like the right to privacy is like such a strange concept because I think that that like assumes that the abortions are something that you would want to and need to keep private. Mm. Um, because like, like there's just like a deep implication there, right. Of like, this is a shameful thing that you would need to do in private and like keep to yourself. Um, I don't know. I just feel like that's part of it. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like, so, um, Lindsay mentioned that it wasn't really rooted in, like, bodily autonomy. Um, and I wanted to talk a little bit about that. Like, talk about, like, bodily autonomy and why I personally, and I'm sure the two of you too, like, are part of, like, the reproductive justice, like, advocacy movement. And why, like, you know, we've, we kind of talked a lot about, like, the legal aspects and what's happening right now. But why does this matter? What, why should we care that abortions may be banned at all, you know? And so I feel like it's so important because it's, like, it's just so authoritarian and almost, like, dictatorial that there's, like, a nationwide law that can just tell you what to do with your body. Or, like, you know, there's so many, like, people who think they can tell others what to do with their body. I mean, I've always found it to be, like, an obvious thing that, like, like how how are you going to pass a law that tells people what they can't and can't you know do with their body like abortions have been proven to be safe you know when given by like a um qualified medical professional um and i think it's just so scary especially if roe v wade roe v wade is overturned 
but it's like you know all these like women who don't have or people with uteruses who don't have the ability to like raise a family or raise children or like you know even like in cases of rape and incest or just like you know i feel like often i get tired of the whole argument that like oh yeah abortion should be legal because sometimes like women get raped and they don't want the children that are like a result of that rape but the truth is that's like okay sure that's a valid reasoning but there should be choice nevertheless like it doesn't have to be just in cases of like rape and incest like it's just like it's your choice it's your body and so i think it's just like really dictatorial that there's like whoa like the government just decided that i can't do what i want with like my body and it's really scary that so many people agree with that, you know, like, so many people, like, in support of, like, the pro-life movement, because it really doesn't affect them, you know, I'm getting kind of ranty here, but, like, it, it really doesn't affect anyone what one person does with, like, their own body and what decisions they make for their own life, and so that's personally why I'm so passionate about, like, the reproductive justice movement, because it's, like, it's, like, who are we as a society if we're, like, passing laws that just, like, limit what people can do with their bodies and I feel like I mean I'm not I'm I'm also not fully um in understanding of like the legal process but it's not even about just abortion you know I feel like if like Roe v Wade was overturned there was so many so many other reproductive rights that would come under attack and so many other aspects and so I just think it's so important like bodily autonomy when we talk about that it's like every person having the right to do what they want to do with their body and so Yeah, and especially with, like, the aiding and abetting law now, it's just, like, so scary because people really need support in these times. Definitely. Um, And the reality is that, first of all, abortions have been happening since people have been able to get pregnant, which I think is all of human history, right? Um, And second of all, that abortion is one of the safest medical procedures a person can have. Um, And so the idea of um, a politician being able to tell you what kind of healthcare you can and cannot have um, is setting really dangerous precedent, first of all. Um, And this idea that there are acceptable circumstances for abortion and unacceptable circumstances for abortion um, is not only just deeply stigmatizing, it also sets really poor precedent for people being able, like you're saying, to make decisions that truly only affect them, their families, their community, um, and every person should be able to be in the driver's seat of their own life and their own future. Absolutely. Um, And I feel like I have so much to unpack here. I will like try really hard to keep it contained. But so something that I'm thinking about as we're talking about bodily autonomy um is so like I'm thinking about myself and and my bodily autonomy like as a trans person what does that mean to me and um I keep coming back to something like we've been talking about is that bodily autonomy is sacred right like um it's, it's a human right to be able to decide what your reproductive future is what um like how you live your identity Um, and like what kind of care you have access to, to do both of those things. And so I, I do want to bring up that, like, while we've been seeing this sharp increase in abortion, like anti-abortion bills going through state legislatures, we have been seeing that this parallel or really like overlapping track of anti-trans legislation going through state legislatures. And so like, it is not a coincidence that just this year in 2021, more than, or actually, I think it's just under, like nearly 600 abortion restrictions were introduced in state legislatures, which is more than has ever happened in any year since Roe v. Wade. Um, Also 2021, we saw more anti-trans bills introduced in state legislatures than any year on record. It was more than 100. And it's not a coincidence that 2021 was the deadliest year on record for trans people. Like there is a direct connection between those bills going through legislatures and being debated and like trans humanity being debated and like the world becoming deadlier for trans people. And so like (laughs) those bills are literally funded and written by like 
the same extreme conservative think tanks, like these anti-trans bills and these anti-abortion bills. And they aim to do the same thing, right? Which is controlling people's bodies, controlling people's futures and controlling people's identities. So it's deeply unsettling. Um, And if Roe is overturned, we know that at least 36 million people are going to lose abortion access. We know that 36 million women plus more people who can become pregnant uh, could lose abortion access if Roe is gutted or overturned. Yeah. I'm sorry this is so bleak. No, we're going to get we're going to get I have some I think we have some bullet points that hopefully will be more uplifting. But the way I see it is just like, you know, it's not happened yet. It's a possibility, but this is our time to really start mobilizing more people and like have all hands on deck and make sure this doesn't happen. Um, and million all hands on deck moment. Yeah. And I think we'll come back to this conversation when we kind of talk about like, what are the next steps? Like, you know, what can we do in the situation? What are some like advocacy steps that even listeners youth can take? But for a minute, I wanted to talk about like, just like, what are some like barriers people may experience, not just like legally, but like different demographics in different communities may experience. Um, and of course, I recognize that both of you are not like in the clinical part of Planned Parenthood. And then if, um, just to our listeners, if you are interested, I can always have like a um, practitioner or like a clinician from like Planned Parenthood also come on and speak on like the other aspects. But just like what are some like barriers you've like noticed or like learned about in your work? God, there's so many. (laughs) Um, Some of the most, I think, prevalent to this moment we can unpack. Um, First of all, I think it's really important to notice that abortion bans most uh, disproportionately impact Black, Indigenous, Latinx, um, low-income, rural communities. Um, And like, just like as if it, I think it's been subtext to what a lot of what we've been saying, but just like how racist, how colonial, how like oppressive uh, abortion bans really are. Um, but I mean, anecdotally from um, the health center staffers that I've been in conversation with, um, one of the big barriers is language. Um, not every provider um, is uh, able to speak to patients in their um first language. Um, And so what does that mean for someone who is from a community of color? um, First of all, to have possibly a um, complex relationship with um, healthcare provision in general, uh, but then to be entering a health center environment that is so deeply stigmatized, unfortunately, um, with reproductive health, um, it can be culturally stigmatized. It's by far uh, most convincingly um, societally stigmatized um, and then to not have a provider who speaks your first language. Um, So as much as we are working and there's so many amazing community-based organizations that are working to make sure that um, people are able to access healthcare in their first language, um, we just don't have the scale that we need. Definitely, yeah. Um, Becca, do you have any thoughts on that? Yes, I agree with everything that Lindsay said there. Um, I think something I'm thinking about, too, um, are just like all the myriad ways that economic barriers show up. I think I already mentioned earlier, like, can you travel to a health center? Can you take off work um, for like recovery time? You know, can you do you have daycare access, like childcare access? Um, And in terms of like, how that shows up in our policy work. I just want to shout out the Fair Shot Coalition here in Oregon. We work with a bunch of coalition partners um, to, like to create policy that it like addresses intersectional issues. Um, and I'm thinking that like one of the things that's coming up in this next session that we're going to be um, helping work on is farm worker overtime. And like we and, like you probably wouldn't at first glance be like, oh, I see the direct connection between like farm workers receiving overtime and like reproductive justice. But um, like people being able to just like take care of their families and like just live the live the futures that they want those families to have, like raise your children um, the way that you want to raise your children. And like um, just with like dignity and respect, um, is a huge thing too yeah 
definitely i also wanted to talk since we're talking like barriers to access i also wanted to talk about like how do you access like an abortion or like other reproductive rights and of course like planned parenthood is a big resource um and now that i'm thinking about it i don't really know any others are virginia do virginia garcia have abortion practitioners I don't know that they provide abortion. I should, we should fact check this. Um, I don't know that they provide abortion, but I believe that they do refer. Okay. Okay. And do, provide. do like various like primary care providers or like gynecologists provide them or is it really just like Planned Parenthood type organizations? Um, that also depends on the provider okay. um, yeah, or the course. health insurance carrier, right? Because there are some health, large healthcare providers that are religiously affiliated that will yeah. not abortions i see and i also wanted to i remember talking about this in teen council and definitely like fact check me if i'm saying something wrong but i remember back in teen council my facilitator facilitator told me about like if someone like searches up like an abortion clinic or like a um, reproductive health care clinic or like a parental health clinic sometimes they get led to like these fake seeming clinics where like when they get in people try to like dissuade them from like getting an abortion and kind of get all like pro-life on them and so is that is that definitely like yeah that is real we call them crisis pregnancy centers or cpcs i grew up in beaverton um and the beaverton library was like my home base for uh you know, studying and um, getting books and getting all the CDs um, back when I was in middle and high school. And I remember um, just across the way, um, across from that park, um, the Pregnancy Resource Center popped up. And I, being like a 16-year-old or whatever, and being like, I identify as a feminist, like, rah, rah, <laughs> I remember seeing the Pregnancy Resource Center pop up and being like, wow, that's so cool. Like resources for pregnant people. That's amazing. Little did I know there was a Planned Parenthood on the other side of the library building. Um, and then later come to find out, uh, realized that that is definitely a crisis pregnancy center. Um, CPCs are known to, first of all, have no qualified medical providers, despite their white lab coats. Um, they make uh, people that come in um, feel like they're in a welcoming and safe environment, but then make them watch traumatizing videos about um, the process of abortion. And um, like, it's just like fear and shame um, being thrown at you. Um, and then I believe they do pregnancy tests um, and will provide all sorts of resources on adoption, um, but they will not um, uh, give counseling on the uh, abortion as a legitimate option. Um, and something that is frightening about this, um, not just that they exist, but um, under the Trump administration, um, uh, there was a federal Title X gag rule. Um, the Trump administration changed um, the Title X program, which is the nation's only family planning funding program. So um, covers things like birth control and other family planning services. Um, the Trump administration changed the rules to the Title X program so that um, CPCs could qualify um, for Title X funds. So not only are they peddling lies, fear and shame and stigma, they were also getting federal funding. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think I think we talked about this. Um, we I think we also talked about this, but I was just wondering, what are some ways that you can identify like a CPC from like an actual clinic? I think I remember um, and my teen council facilitator said that you could look for like medical certificates on like the practitioner's wall. But I feel like those could be like faked or something. I'm not sure. But what is like a way that you could like verify that like, oh, the center I'm going to does in fact have medical like abortion practitioners that's a great question i'm not sure becca do you know um well one thing i would recommend is that you can actually there's a website called crisis pregnancy center map.com where you can like search a state and find like lists of all the crisis pregnancy centers um so you'll know immediately to avoid them. <laughs> and that makes it really helpful. Um, but yeah, otherwise, like, yeah, outside of Planned Parenthood, I think that it's probably, they make it a little tricky, but yeah, sorry, I don't have a better answer for you than that. No, I mean, that is the reality, but that's good. The 
crisispregnancycenters.com is definitely a great resource. Um, and of course, Planned Parenthood is also always there for people who need it. Um, and yeah, I just wanted to um, kind of transition, like the, we're coming towards like the end of our episode. And so I wanted to transition into maybe like some more hopeful tones. Um, but like, you know, just kind of talk about like, what are some next steps? What can we be doing? I mean, I know Planned Parenthood is always doing stuff and various other organizations like Sister Song, and even like Advocates for Youth are like always doing stuff. And you, uh, Neural, Neural, not sure how to pronounce it, but like we're all, there's like definitely a lot of stuff going on to like protect our reproductive rights. And so it's definitely, there's definitely hope to like everyone listening. Like it's definitely like not set in stone that our reproductive rights are going to be taken away from us and there's still time to change it. Um, and so, yeah, if like you two could kind of talk on like what has Planned Parenthood been up to? How can people get involved and support? stand up or we both decide who's, who's going to answer first. <laughs> oh, I'll, ju- I'll jump in with a couple things. So something that we have been asking our people to do is to understand the importance of and support with actual money abortion funds. So um, there are abortion funds in every state. State There's networks of them across the country and their whole job is to like connect people to abortion resources, but they go beyond just um, like they don't provide resources. They'll like help you find a health center that will and they'll help you pay for your abortion. Uh, a lot of them help pay for things like travel or like if you have to stay in a hotel overnight or childcare, they buy you meals or do like aftercare kits. Um, so they provide this really critical function because like the reproductive health access landscape is such a patchwork um, of different policy between like the federal level and the state level and like local, just like what is in your local area. So um, supporting abortion funds is absolutely critical. Um, there are a bunch of them in Texas. There are a bunch of them in Mississippi. There's a bunch all over. There's actually, there's some in the Northwest here too. The Northwest Abortion Access Fund is amazing. Uh, CASC or the Cascade Abortion Support Collective is amazing. Um, so that's one way is uh, supporting abortion funds. Um, yeah, thanks for um, shouting out all the amazing abortion funds. Um, if you are someone who is like, okay, yes, I can throw some cash to an abortion fund, but I also like want to use my feet and I want to use my voice and I want to use my body. Um, there is a lot that we're going to be up to in the coming year. We've been ringing the alarms about SB8 in Texas since September, since that bill went into effect. And now we're keeping the drumbeat going around um, the Supreme Court hearing um, the Jackson Women's Health or the case is called Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, um, KHU for short. Um, we're going to continue to keep that drumbeat going. Um, we also have a legislative session coming up um, where we have the opportunity to um, advocate to our legislators to continue to fund abortion care um, and things like uh, farm worker overtime, like Becca mentioned. Um, there's going to be an an effort for universal representation this legislative session. Um, so there's a lot of really great intersectional legislative work happening in Oregon this session. Um, and for folks who are listening, I would encourage you to look up um, who your legislators are and how you can um, get in touch with them about issues that you care about. Um, and then we also, 2022 is going to be a big election year. We have a governor's race here in Oregon that will um that has the potential to really uh, impact the reproductive health landscape here in Oregon and all intersecting issues, right? Um, And so if you're someone who wants to get involved in any way, shape, or form with Planned Parenthood Advocates of Oregon, um, you can go to, wait, let me (laughs) me make sure I have the URL, bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash defend P-P-A-O. Um, and that is going to take you to our volunteer sign-up form. And we keep our volunteers alert of um, legislative patch-throughs. So emailing, calling your legislators, um, events you can show up to. Um, we're going to be hosting a healing space and conversational space um, around the row anniversary, which is happening in, um, I think it's the third week of January. Um, praying that road does not get overturned this year, but we do have to plan for all scenarios, right? So we're going to do some just community building together. Um, 
and beyond that, just many, many ways to plug in and fight the good fight with us. Yeah. Ooh, I want to shout out the um, documentary screening and panel of, of the documentary Belly of the Beast that we're doing in partnership with Pro Choice Oregon. Um, and that is a documentary that uh, talks about reproductive oppression in the California like women's incarceration system. And um, we're going to be hearing from some community advocates in the, uh, on that panel. And it's going to be really amazing. That's happening in January as well. Yeah. Thank you all so much for like those resources and just like remembering that reproductive justice is like a never ending fight. So no matter what happens in June, it's something we have to keep working for, especially that access and that equitable access. Um, And just like some other like ways I know people can get involved, especially the youth, because I feel like it's super important that like more youth are kind of getting engaged in this movement. And I feel like youth often don't know that there's actually a lot of ways they can. I mean, the way I got into this whole thing was through the Planned Parenthood Teen Council, and there are teen councils all over the nation. And so Teen Council is like a program through which you can like teach sex ed and like other like kind of reproductive healthcare topics in like high school classrooms. And that's not all you do. You like do lobbying, you learn a lot yourself. Um, and then, you know, like Planned Parenthood Advocates of Oregon, and then uh, again, Planned Parenthood Advocates of other states always have like fellowships and internships and other opportunities and there's also Planned Parenthood Gen Action Gen Action which is like for college students to like create clubs on like campuses and stuff like that um and so there's definitely like a lot of opportunities and there's also like advocates of youth for youth have a young women of color for reproductive justice collective so definitely check that out too there's like many ways that you can get involved um and i think it's like very important that we like start mobilizing even more people now and start getting like involved in like more ways and just kind of being in the loop of what's happening is super important um and so yeah so just like kind of like thinking about that and if anyone's listening and they like want more resources on like how to be involved like definitely you can like dm our instagram which is dirty talk pod and i can always give you more resources on how to be involved with like any kind of like advocacy surrounding like sex education or reproductive health care because there's a lot out there especially for youth like we may not realize it but there's a lot out there that we can be involved with right now um so yeah it's definitely like you know, it's like we we have to fight the good fight and it's not over yet. It's definitely a scary time. But the fact that so many of us care and the fact that we're even having this conversation on this podcast right now shows that there is stuff being done about it. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely like something, you know, we can do. We can there's a lot we can do to kind of make sure that we still have our reproductive rights and we're just going to, like, move on to, like, closing. But, like, just to wrap up, any last thoughts from the two of you? Anything to just, like, tell our listeners? Okay, yeah, I'll say something. So um, I just wanted to say that I am consistently blown away by the engagement that we have, like, with youth in our community. Like, young people show up and, like, bring a lot of energy and good ideas um, to this movement, like this is a movement for young people. I feel like growing up, I always felt like this was like a movement for old white ladies. And I think that that's just like the perception of the reproductive rights movement. Right. But like, um, in addition to all of those ways you mentioned getting involved, which like, yes, 100%, all that is perfect. I also say, would say that like, there's, there's so much beyond like just the scope, like the, the scope of organizing work um, like so, so many things are organizing, but I think that don't get credit for being organizing, like um, getting your friends together and talking about stuff like this and learning about reproductive justice and making art together and making zines together and like pushing your school board for better sex education. Like um, there's so much that that happens with young people that can happen with young people. Like there's so much possibility there. Um, and I think that like, something that this movement needs is just we we need everyone right like we need everyone that's affected by this um coming to it authentically with what they have like you all have things that you can offer to this movement and um i'm looking forward to seeing what you bring yeah ditto to all of that um a framework that we use sometimes um is like the um what is it? The activist ecosystem? Yeah. Um, yeah. So 
just like Becca is saying, everyone has something to bring and everyone has a unique um, perspective, voice, skill set. So like maybe you're really great. You're a really great cook. And so you feed your friends who are on the front lines. Um, I think here in Portland, we saw some of like the coolest, or at least I got to see some of the coolest organizing I've seen in a long time last summer. Um, just people really taking care of each other in the streets. And I felt that and was like, this is like, this is it. This is the future. Um, and so many of it was young people. Um, and so I have a lot of faith. I have a lot of hope. Um, and I think that like younger folks are some of the best at asking for accountability. Um, and that is really amazing and like necessary. And so, yeah, that's my, that's my closing statement. I have a lot of hope. No, yeah, I think that's definitely the most important thing to have at this time. And just remembering that we've always been fighting for our reproductive rights. It's kind of just like, you know, it's just continuing and we just have to kind of pump it up a little bit more because the threat is a little bit heavier this time. And so, yeah. But yeah, again, you know, just because we're ending this episode does not mean this won't come up in future episodes. Reproductive justice is so connected to all topics of sex and sexuality, um, especially when it comes to like the LGBTQ, LGBTQ community and like access for different demographics. So we'll definitely be talking about this more and we can do more episodes with like a practitioner from Planned Parenthood or like, you know, more of the clinical side. So it's definitely an ongoing conversation here at Dirty Talk. We're just ending it for now for this episode. Um, but yeah, so moving on to closings, like always, we'll be sharing some like media we've been like reading, watching, listening to, just some like recommendations. Um, I'll go first. I started watching The Great on Hulu um, yesterday. Um, and it's like award winning. It's like supposed to be really good. And it is really good. It's like satire on like Catherine the Great from um, Russia. And she's actually kind of inspiring herself. She was like, um one of the last like empresses of russia and she kind of like changed the pace for like russian women and just kind of like their status in russian society and it is also satire so it's like pretty funny too um and i read this i guess i'm like in my little mythology history era right now because i read this book called women of troy which is like a feminist retelling of like the trojan war kind of like talking from the perspectives of like Briseis who's who was like the slave of Achilles and kind of like dismantling the whole like oh Achilles war hero no Achilles owner of slaves and like kind of a rapist and stuff like that so very cool book for whoever's interested in kind of like that historical fiction mythology and the great is also a really good show uh but yeah Becca how about you Okay, so first off, I have also been watching The Great, and I love it. Um, everyone in that show is amazing. <laughs> Nicholas Holt, in particular, is like just wonderful. Um, so, also recommend. Um, I have also lately found myself just like falling into a hole of like visual novel video games. Um, there's this one that came out recently called Ambition: A Minuet of Power, where you're like. Um, like you, you play a woman who's in Paris like a few months before the revolution. And so you kind of have to like navigate society where like you get in with the right people to be safe, but like you don't get so important that you get guillotined. <laughs> and it's also like a romance, like a dating sim and you can have queer romances in it. So it's just like, okay, this has everything. <laughs> um, so I, I think that organizing can be really trying, like spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And so sometimes you just have to like, I don't know, find like escapist hobbies to find joy in. And I feel like that is like a really niche one, but it's working for me. Um, I, I also, this one is a little bit more um, like educational, but I want to recommend the Translash podcast with Amara Jones. Um, is absolutely incredible trans journalism and there is actually a multi-part series almost like a four-part mini-series called the anti-trans hate machine um where she like does like a deep investigative dive into all of these anti-trans bills that have been going through the le like state legislatures um and it is like really uh informative and important and i just recommend that to everybody thank you lindsay what about you um <laughs> Okay, I feel like uh, uh, I'm about to reveal a guilty pleasure that does not paint me in the best way. 
I, every night for maybe the past two weeks, have been going to bed watching Love Island UK. And do I recommend it? Absolutely not. (laughs) Uh, But (laughs) it's like probably the most escapist media I can consume after a long work day. It is so outside of my scope of experience. And what better like little crucible of like, toxic masculinity and like heteronormative dating rituals and like oh the whiteness of it all it is wild um and i just can't stop watching it (laughs) um but on a more serious note um a book that i um recently listened to the audio version of and i just like keep putting it on because i love listening to it um is intimations by zadie smith uh she's a novelist um but published a book of short essays um over it's pretty recent but the writing is over the course of the pandemic and like i would not say that i'm like interested in a lot of like pandemic content um but her just like writing about her experience um And like, I don't know, there's just like some really nice, juicy bits in it. Um, And if you're an audiobook listener, she's got like a really wonderful reading voice. So recommend intimations. Thank you for that. And then also, I would just like to say, completely relate to the whole Love Island thing, because I truly believe the most entertaining stuff I've watched is Too Hot to Handle. Like that show, I don't know if you've heard of it or if you've like, but that show was mind blowing. It was like, it, it was definitely a guilty pleasure because I was watching it and I was like, what is this? But it was very okay. entertaining. Oh God, I get so wrapped up. I'm like, <laughs> no, no. I take it so personally. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, like that's what that is made for, right? Like that content is made to just get lost in. And that's why I like selling Sunset too. But I refuse to think of them as guilty pleasures. Like I refuse to be guilty for any of my pleasures, even if they do seem ridiculous at first blush. Like I'm going to play my historical dating sims and I'm going to watch Selling Sunset. Like cause sometimes you just have to turn your brain off, man, just for like a couple of minutes. Definitely. That beautifully said. Thank you so much. Um, and yeah, I mean, thank you all for listening to this episode. Um, if you want to hear more from Lindsay and Becca, we can always bring them back on if you have any questions or anything. But yeah, this is it for this episode. Um, thank you so much and stay dirty.